Mattoon Christmas Parade back and bigger than ever. A former Illini Stars jersey will soon join other history makers in the State Farm Center rafters. More on these stories, I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. We're going to get right into it today with some business and agricultural news. Uh, Kelsey's going to talk about the best type of farm. (laughs) It's the most wonderful time of the year, and that obviously means people are starting to get out and buy their live, fresh Christmas trees. This week, Panagraph reporter Brendan Dennison talked with Dave Phillips, a second-generation farmer who owns the Phillips Christmas Trees business near Hayworth in McLean County. Phillips got his start selling scotch pine, white pine, Norway spruce, red pine, and Austrian pine when he was only a grade schooler. Like all industries across the nation, Christmas tree farms are experiencing a shortage, but Phillips said he's doing pretty well despite those issues. For all the details on how to pick up a perfect Christmas tree, find Brendan's story at panagraph.com. And keeping with the kind of the Christmassy giving spirit, go ahead, Sierra. Okay, so this week I wrote a story on how Amazon is partnering with the Midwest Food Bank and Normal to donate food and return merchandise. Uh, you heard that right, returned merchandise. So Amazon, when, as you may know, whenever you return items to Amazon, they just go and sit in a warehouse and instead of sending those items to a landfill, uh, Amazon has partnerships with places like the Midwest Food Bank all across the country to donate pallets of returned goods. That includes uh, food that was returned or not sold um, and that was just sitting in the warehouse and things like electronic and toys and stuff that the Midwest Food Bank wouldn't usually get in donations. So that means that the Midwest Food Bank has been able to better serve nonprofits and other partnerships that it has by giving like items that they might not normally be able to donate like strollers or diapers or um you know like outdoor play equipment pretty much anything that you could buy on amazon and return theoretically uh would be in these pallets and it's just like a big surprise that they get um when they get like these trucks that come in with all these pallets and they just sip through them and it's so cool if you want the full story you can find my story at panagraph.com The Celebrate Downtown Mattoon tradition returned this year, this time with a bigger holiday parade and even more festivities. Reporter Mattoos Janik was down in Mattoon this weekend covering this event. Now in the past, the annual light up parade has only had about 10 to 16 floats, but this year there were about 40 different floats with thousands of flickering lights and decorations. The festival also had live music performances and costume characters for children to take photos with. So if you wanna check out all those photos and videos, of the festival, be sure to find Matusa's story at jg-tc.com. Alrighty, now let's move into some local government news. Sierra, take it away. Some pretty exciting stuff for Bloomington this week. A $5.68 million state grant was awarded this week to the Bloomington Public Library for their planned $22.8 million facility upgrade. The expansion has faced criticism in recent weeks from some residents due to the library seeking a property tax rate increase to help pay for the project. Uh, Funds were awarded through the State Public Library Construction Act grant and are contingent on the BPL receiving more than $15 million in matching funds by the end of the state's fiscal year. The library plans to match the grant with 20-year general obligation bonds, which would be awarded through the City of Bloomington. If you want to learn more about this project, you can find my stories uh, all about it at panagraph.com. 
Former Democratic U.S. Representative Glenn Poshard, who served 10 years in Congress and was nominated for Illinois governor in 1998, was recently spotlighted in a documentary about civil engagement and peaceful public action. Poshard and late U.S. Representative John Lewis of Georgia helped to fund the Faith and Politics Institute, a nonprofit organization that works to bridge racial, religious, and political divisions among elected officials. The group is known for its annual civil rights pilgrimage to Selma, Alabama, where Lewis was brutally beaten by police while marching from Selma to Montgomery for voting rights in 1963. Lewis died in July of 2020, but Poshard has continued his work, leading organized marches for peace, unity, and nonviolence in central and southern Illinois. Herald and Review reporter Brendan Moore talked about the documentary and Poshard's life work in a recent interview, and a story detailing his mission was published across all of our three websites. So you want to learn more about Poshard and the documentary, find Brendan's story at panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. Bloomington Normal Mayors this week said that they plan to use Rivian and Ferrero as a springboard to bring in more economic development to Central Illinois. Normal Mayor Chris Coos and Mimoka Milwambly said that they've been in talks with Peoria, Decatur, and Champaign-Urbana on how to leverage the state's assets and current major industry to attract new businesses. The conversation was brought up during an hour-long discussion about workforce development and COVID recovery with McLean County Chamber of Commerce President Charlie Moore. The event highlighted the current state of Bloomington Normal and future plans for infrastructure and post-pandemic recovery. To hear the full scoop, find my story at panagraph.com. And now, uh, some some health-related news. So Kelsey's going to tell us about the Omicron variant and what all has transpired this week in terms of COVID. The Omicron variant is now in Illinois as several communities across the state, including McLean County, are experiencing high community transmission of COVID-19. The first known Illinois case of the latest variant of concern is a Chicago resident who was fully vaccinated with a booster dose and they did not require hospitalization after after contracting the strain. At least 19 states have reported Omicron cases since it was first detected in the U.S. on December 1st. In McLean County, this week more than 100 new cases have been reported every day. After filling completely last week, the intensive care unit beds have been 88% full this week in the county's hospital, with around 98% of total hospital beds in use. McLean County Health Administrator Jessica McKnight said hospitalizations are one of the main data points the department is watching now, noting vaccinations are most effective at preventing serious illness that could lead to hospitalization and death. In Bloomington, we've been following this surge closely, so be sure to find all of our COVID coverage at panagraph.com. And now let's kick it over to some education news, uh, starting with higher education news. Mary Black and R.J. Podshi had the interim dropped from their titles at Millican University this week when Black was officially named provost and Podshi was named dean of Tabor School of Business. Black served as interim provost since July following the retirement of Jeffrey Aper in June. Podshi served as interim dean since the beginning in August, having been an associate professor of information systems and chair of the Tabor School of Business undergraduate programs. Valerie Wells has the full story, including more background on these two, so check that out at heraldhyperinview.com. Dr. David Mauser's contract was approved Wednesday as the next superintendent of Bloomington District 87 schools. Mauser has been at the helm for Tri-Valley Schools and Down since 2014, but starting July 1st, he's getting a raise and a new district. Mauser's contract runs from July 2022 to June 2025 with a base salary of $215,000, which is about $60,000 more than his salary at Tri-Valley. Current District 87 Superintendent Barry Riley will retire in June after more than 30 years with the district and 12 as superintendent. 
Mauser was selected from three finalists who were announced last month, and out of the three, he was the only one local to McLean County. To read more about Dr. Mauser and the changing leadership at District 87, be sure to read Connor Wood's report with full coverage of this week's school board meeting at panagraph.com. And now let's move into some sports. Sarah's favorite subject. What, what's up with the University of Illinois this week, Sarah? The Illini men held off Iowa and pushed through their defense when the teams met at Carver Hawkeye. The Illini men held off Iowa and pushed through their defense when the teams met at the Carver Hawkeye Arena Monday. The University of Illinois team took an 87-83 Big Ten win, despite the Hawkeyes doing all they could to keep the ball out of the hands of All-American center Kofi Cokeburn. They held him to just one shot in the first half, but he went on a quick run when they came out of the locker room, scoring 10 points in the first seven minutes after halftime. And the Illinois guards quickly matched his scoring energy. Cokeburn finished with 17 points, 18 rebounds, and told Lee Central Illinois Hoops reporters he was too passive in the first half, so he had to be way more aggressive in the second. Graduate guards Jacob Grandison and Alfonso Plummer each netted 21 points, pushing back with outside shots when they couldn't get the ball into the paint. Senior guard Trent Frazier also contributed 18 points and was able to grab 8 rebounds in the win. Randy Reinhardt broke down the details of the game, highlighting key baskets and moves from a few other players in his story this week. You can find that coverage across our three websites, herald-review.com, pantograph.com, and jg-tc.com. And just to continue with the U of I news, the Illini announced this week the team's former guard and current Chicago Bull, Io Dosunmu, will be back in Champaign next month to watch his jersey ascend into the rafters. Dosunmu, who wore number 11 when he spent three years in the orange and blue, will become the 34th Illini player in school history to have his jersey retired when the team faces Maryland at the State Farm Center on January 6th. Lately, he's been seeing more and more floor time for the Bulls and had his first career start this week in a 109-97 victory over the Denver Nuggets. This week, Herald and Review reporter Matt Flayton has a column about Dosunmu and his venture into another arena, the world of trading cards. Uh, be sure to check out his column and keep up with Illini and Bulls news across our three sites, herald-review.com, panograph.com, and jg-tc.com. All right, now let's move into some public safety news. An El Paso, Illinois native was recently named as Decatur's next top cop. Chief Shane Brandle was appointed Decatur Police Chief last week after serving as the interim chief for the last four months. Brandle has served the Decatur Police Department for the last 25 years with the department in several roles. He was promoted to detective in 2000, sergeant in 2005, lieutenant in 2015, and deputy chief in 2016. This summer, he took the reins as interim chief after former police chief Jim Getz retired. For Demora and Matus Janik, have the details and more at heraldhyperreview.com. Two Decatur men were arrested this week after police said they opened fire outside a Decatur bar. Officers were called to the Flashback Lounge just after midnight on November 10th for multiple reports of shots fired. Detective Tim Whitmer said multiple shell casings were found in the parking lot and the rear glass door had been struck. Police said surveillance footage from the bar showed the two men firing at people and towards the bar, and one of the men appeared to and one of the men appeared to be armed with a handgun with an extended clip that was firing like an automatic weapon. The two men, ages 28 and 30, were identified by Decatur police and arrested. They faced preliminary charges that include unlawful possession of a weapon by a felon, aggravated discharge of a firearm, and other weapons charges. For full details and to follow the story as it moves into the court, be sure to find Tony Reed's reports at heraldreifenreview.com. All right, now let's wrap things up with some community news, or rather just some us news. (laughs) 
Every year, Lee Enterprises does a fun thing where all the reporters and and anyone who really wants to participate uh, collect their top five stories that they wrote. Um, they can be the most memorable stories. They could be their favorite stories. Um, they can also just be like best like business stories or best like you know whatever you kind of want it to be. And so today, Kelsey and I were just going to go over some of our favorite stories that we wrote this year. And um, if any of you guys want to check out those stories, you can find our columns at um, panagraph.com. Also, be sure to find the other reporter's stories um, at Herald-Review and JG-TAC because they'll be having those out soon. But uh, before Kelsey takes over, I'm just going to go through my top five. Um... I started off the year pretty strong with an in-depth investigation into flooding in Roanoke. It's hard to believe that I wrote that story in January. <laughs> uh, so that was a really great story. It's pretty in-depth. It goes into the struggles of like the flooding and what city leaders are having to do for that. Uh, my second favorite story that I wrote this year was about children's museums and how they had been left out of COVID relief funding and why. So I talked with uh, Central Illinois uh, Children's Museums about how they were really struggling because of the state's like weirdly written rules uh, that really left uh, the children's museums out of funding and being able to open at all. And then my third story was about Steak and Shake. I just chose that because it was fun. <laughs> um, it was just a fun history piece about Steak and Shake and um, how it's going to kiosk only, um, no sit down, and just like what it did when it like became just behemoth of a fast food chain restaurant. And then my, my fifth and final story, um, oh no, my fourth story was Jelani uh, Day, who Kelsey and I have reported on numerous times. We've been following the case really closely since, uh, since August, and um, he's really made an impact on my life. He's made an impact on a lot of people's lives, so I chose the story that we wrote about his um, friends and teachers and former like coaches talking about who he was as a person and um, the light that he brought to uh, everyone. And then my fifth story was Rivian. I mean, how could it not be? I got to ride. I got to drive a Rivian truck <laughs> this year. Like, how could there, nothing? Nothing beats that. Seeing Rivian grow into what it has been today, like seeing starting with the pantograph when Rivian was still like a concept, hasn't even like put out a, a car yet, and then to see like them finally roll off the R1T and then file their IPO to become the second to become the nation's second most valuable automaker. It's just, it's really great. Like, it was just really great to see and I'm really looking forward to reporting on Rivian in the future and seeing where everything goes and seeing where uh, Rivian takes Bloomington normal. Um, I will say that it was kind of annoying to see all of these national media outlets say uh, Rivian saved like this area because uh, Bloomington Normal is known for so much more than just Rivian. We have the Ferrero Rocher plant. Um, I know that hasn't been built yet, but even before that, we're also like an insurance headquartered company and have two major universities and colleges and just like all of these things going on for it. So like Rivian's great, Bloomington Normal's great too. <laughs> For my uh, most memorable, um, well, I feel like in the last couple years, I've had some really like positive ones on my f most memorable five, and then some really like dark ones, and um, I kind of kept up with that tradition, <laughs> didn't really mean to, but um, for mine, I hit 
I have like four like of the heaviest hitters and then one um, that was just a really good example of um, one of the stories I got to write about a high school student doing cool things. So the first one I kind of did in chronological order was um, about House Bill 3653, which is was this huge criminal justice bill that passed um, kind of in the middle of the night that uh, one of the measures that it did, it is that it will end cash bail in Illinois. Um, I worked on that with former panographer Kevin Barlow, and uh, I talked to a, lo- um, a lot of attorneys and other law enforcement folks about that. Um, it was really interesting. It really was memorable because it took me a minute to like get a handle on it, and it was a little overwhelming, but I was really proud of the end product that we got out of it and the conversation that we were able to bring with that. Um, my second was um, I met 16-year-old Karis Opsel, who got two pieces of art into the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry. Talking to her was so cool. Um, her two pieces that she got in were called Black in America and Flower Girl, which were two really emotional pieces. Um, Black in America she made, which is kind of like a digital art piece she made after George Floyd's murder. And Flower Girl was just kind of, she said it was just a more her piece. It just felt um, really true to who she was. And it was just this a girl with flowers on her eyes and flowers across her chest. And it's really beautiful. And it was like multimedia. So like the flowers were hot glued on the piece and like she had like hot glued tears it was it's really cool um but that was just one example of like getting to talk to a lot of high school students who were doing cool things this year um that was just one of my favorites and then um with another panograph reporter kate heather i worked on a story that was one year after george floyd's murder and this was after the chauvin verdict had come out and it was just um, really impactful to talk to a lot of activists and community leaders about his death and the resurgence of um, activism that that drew and what progress we've had since that day and uh, what's next, what what more can be done um, in this arena. And then uh, <laughs> my fourth story was uh, a big profile piece that I worked on with Sierra and another former panographer, Tim Eggert. Um, we did seven profiles for Pride Month of community leaders, and it was a monster of a story. It's like 100 inches. I know like most people don't measure uh, stories in inches, but it's a lot. Um, inches are like page inches in the like in the physical paper anyways it was a lot it was seven stories squished into one and we worked really hard on it and we were really proud of it and we kind of fought to make sure other people knew how valuable and important it was to tell those kinds of stories so um and I got to talk to one of my favorite (laughs) teachers and uh someone in the education community that I had never really talked to before and it was really interesting to hear from her so yeah definitely check that out if you haven't and of course um like Sierra I my fifth story was Jelani Day also the profile we did when we talked to his friends and his teammates and his coaches um that story um really helped I think it really helped us get a grasp that this is a person um, we've 
been following this story for three, three and a half months now, and it's been blown up and it's been blown into things that it's been complicated and it's been difficult. And what this story really uh, grounds for us, I think, is that he's a he was a person, and that's what's really important. I'm really glad that we got to share just a little piece of his story, though uh, we haven't been able to tell it all. Um, so yeah, um, every, I think every reporter across at least our three, our three sites, as well as our editors, our copy editors, our photographers, um, they all did fave fives as well. And, uh, next week we're going to be working on video versions of fave fives. Spoiler, we're going to have one on Rivian and Jelani. So look out for that. Um, with Kelsey... (laughs) With, with Kelsey, us. <laughs> yeah, with Kelsey talking about Jelani, and I will be talking about Rivian, of course. Shocker, I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, and I think some other reporters are going to try are going to do some uh, video versions of their Faith Fives to really illustrate uh, what this year has done. It's it's been a weird year, but you know, a few more weeks to go. So that's going to do it for us today, folks. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and are reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to Panagraph.com, Herald-Review.com, and JG-TC.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.